Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. So episode three of series one, I've got a very pleased to have James Ward, managing director and founder of ClientShare with me today. If you could just introduce yourself and provide me with a little bit of background. Yeah, sure. Hi, thanks, Ben. Um, so uh, my name's James. So I founded ClientShare uh, back in 2016. Um, ClientShare has got a very simple purpose. Um, it's to improve the relationship between buyers and suppliers in the world of enterprise account management. Um, so that's the background. Our our business has been in operation. We launched in 2016, um, and it's been a, it's been a heck of a roller coaster since then. So the the point of the discussions, the conversations we have, is to understand about you, about your background, around the history. So I uh, understand you worked at Xerox for a long period of time, very successful in a corporate position. Uh, what was the reasons why you decided to move out, take the risk, and create? your own business? So so primarily it was, uh, how can I put it? It was almost like an itch I needed to scratch. Um, I'd spent 12 years in the world of enterprise, uh, said latterly, um, I had a senior position at Xerox Corporation, um, looking after the outsourcing sector for the financial and professional services marketplace. But I've reached a position in a company that um, I'd done well, but I always felt that I wanted to challenge myself um, and ultimately one day start my own business. And, and I looked at some some ideas when I was at Xerox. One of them was uh, in the business to consumer marketplace. And then I very quickly realized that I knew pretty much nothing about B2C. And then I looked inside, sort of inside my head, so to speak, of, of all the things that I'd done in my career and realized that my, my, my passion, my interest was never really in what um, we were selling or what companies were, were selling but it was actually in the way that two large companies managed their business relationship together. And so I sat down and I looked at where we've been successful, where I've been successful in terms of winning, retaining and growing enterprise contracts, um, and then where I'd also been unsuccessful. And, and I think you actually learn more from what you lose than what you win. And I looked at um, my sort of track record and realized there were some common threads that, uh, that came out. And in the in the B2B space, uh, the common threads about being successful um, were all about how strong your business relationship was. So what we did was essentially take all the facets that make up a really strong business relationship and decided to create technology um, that supports how uh, enterprise buyers and suppliers manage their relationship together. And that was that was the background, really. So it's something I wanted to do and I wanted to do something that was in my um, my passion sort of range, if you will, um, and business relationships was where I, where I sort of landed. So that's that's the background. Great. And what were the challenges of the initial concept building out the market viable product? So um, a few challenges. The first challenge was the fact that I've never started a company. Um, so that was always pretty interesting. Um, the second one was the fact that I'd never 
ran a software business or coded or worked with software developers. I'd always sold, sold outsourcing and any software we got came off the shelves. So I knew that we needed to get something out to market pretty quickly to test the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first challenge was where and how do I go about building an MVP? Um, and that was the first challenge I needed to tackle because whilst I thought I had a good idea, I couldn't take a, an idea to market. I had to take something to market to test in the first place. Okay. Um, and the, the, the market, the first sort of software that we, that we launched to the marketplace, um, I've got to confess was, was, was pretty ropey. It was something that was, was classic sort of built in someone's uh, garage. And we launched something into the marketplace um, to really test it. And our MVP, I look back now and almost shudder thinking about how it was. Um, it, oh, was it was a yeah. million miles away from, uh, from what we've got today. So a bit like Microsoft in the garage story. Yeah, I, I, if we end up being the size of Microsoft, I certainly wouldn't mind telling that story to a few <laughs> people. But it, it was really. But but we created something that really was very basic. But but after three months, so the start of 2016, taking it to market, I found out that what we built was in the wrong place in the market. Um, so we built some software that helped companies sell but what we actually found after three months was the software that people wanted was software that helped companies manage a relationship rather than win new business. So therefore, we, we had to pivot very early on. And the other thing we found was that if we were going to pivot, we actually needed to raise some capital um, in order to go and build a proper piece of software that we could take to market to large enterprises. Thank you, James. And in terms of raising capital, what was your experience there? How much time and effort did you need to, to put into getting the funds? So so after three months, we had a couple of customers on our initial software that we, we sort of gave away as a freemium product. And that freemium product enabled us to go and raise money. So we wanted to raise money based on evidence from some customers saying what they wanted, as opposed to me going to raise money, someone with just an idea. We wanted to do it with a product that was out there saying, we know where this product needs to go, we need the capital to do it. Um, raising capital itself was a, was a pretty, pretty soul-destroying experience. We spent the first three months, as I said, launching this product, and then I spent the next six months trying to raise money. So we raised a quarter of a million in angel funding, uh, a quarter of a million sterling in angel funding. It took about six months. Um, it took three months to find the right places to even go and raise money and to build a basic deck. Some examples in the UK, I mean, we spoke to um, Startup Funding Club. We met a lot of high net worth individuals. We spoke to quite a few sort of consortiums of angel investment. And we ended up um, working with a company called uh, Angels Den. Angels Den are essentially um, the a place where um, you go to to raise angel funding. Um, and we presented there two or three times. Each time we presented to one of their tech startup events, we had some great feedback, but we were told that our business case was either you know, wrong in certain areas or we're just challenged and challenged time and time again to, to change the way that we were looking at our, um, our, our valuation um, and to change potentially the way that um, we were going to actually uh, structure the business. So we kept listening and listening to the uh, angel investors that eventually got us to a position that we found us probably two months after we started out with the right deck 
um, and the right valuation that then enabled things to happen. But it was a it was a slow process, and and the term I used is you've got to kiss a lot of frogs. We met a lot of people out there who showed a lot of interest. We're talking about putting um, a significant amount of capital in, and then those people would um, quite often disappear to the hills. And also a lot of those people would talk about themselves being a high net worth individuals. And the reality is a lot of them, a lot of them weren't. Um, so that meant that we had to find the right people. Eventually we found that of the 250K we raised, about 70% of that came through an organization called Pragmatica Consulting, who have um, an expertise in B2B companies um, and B2B software. Um, and a background in enterprise account and relationship management. So they saw what we had and said, this is something that, that we need to get cracking with. So that's, uh, that's the route we, uh, we went down. But I don't think you can avoid that. Um, and you have to listen to what uh, potential investors say, as opposed to, I mean, these guys invest regularly. So you should be listening to what they say and what they guide and advise you with, rather than sometimes I think a lot of people plow ahead with their own views uh, and don't listen to investors when investors are the ones that ultimately have got the, uh, got the capital you need. Mm. And just full disclosure for the listeners, I personally made an investment. Thank you. And uh, please take that into consideration when uh, learning about client share. And um, yeah, I'm on a journey too. I'm learning uh, with you uh, on about the experiences these entrepreneurs and founders are going through today and how, how, they, uh, how they progress across the year. So that's the whole principle. And um, hopefully, James, you'll come back next year as well. So talking about the, the platform, you saw a, a challenge in, in the marketplace, what were the specific problems that businesses that you see face in the B2B world uh, engaging with customers? You mentioned uh, a place to collaborate. Yeah, so the, the way I best describe this is if you think about um, your own, everyone think about your own uh, consumer experience um, and think about all the technology that you've got at your fingertips that you, you turn to on a regular basis, whether that be WhatsApp, uh, whether that be Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever it might be, there's technology, Dropbox, uh, WeTransfer, there's technologies out there that you just use to make sharing of information easier and better and the way you collaborate or communicate with, uh, with people easier and better. And in the world of enterprise, it just doesn't really exist. All the best technology used to come from enterprise to consumer. All the best technology now goes from consumer up into the enterprise space. So our principle is very simple. Think about the way that people um, collaborate and communicate in a consumer environment. And can we take some of the best bits of that and create a private channel or a private network where two companies, the key people and two companies for a business relationship can come together? Um, so that was a, that was the premise on, on what we built. Thank you. And in terms of the customers you have at the moment that's leveraging the value, who are they? Who can you speak about? So we basically work with any company. We've got enterprise customers, we've also got medium and small customers, but any company that has got a large business relationship that they feel that should be managed in a better, smarter, stronger way, they're the types of companies we work with. So for example, one of our largest uh, customers is a two billion pound outsourcing company called Impellum Group. They specialize in selling um, and taking to market outsourcing services for uh, for staffing requirements. Um, so typical competitors of theirs that you, you know you may also have heard of are the companies such as Adeco, Randstad, Manpower and the like. And uh, Impelum have got a number of brands in their business where they look after their relationship with some of the world's 
biggest companies, you know, some of the world's largest pharmaceuticals, um, professional services companies, consulting companies and the like. And they um, deliver services to all these organizations and, and they found that the challenge they had was how can they build deep, wide and meaningful relationships with their clients? So when those key things happen, those moments that matter happen between them and their customer, there's evidence, there's a real live community between both parties. And the way they were doing it today was quite uh, quite analog or certainly old school, you know, just emails going back and forth rather than one place where their content comes to life, where their C-suite gets engaged, where they can demonstrate continuous improvement, collaboration um, and get communication and feedback going. So they're the types of companies and that's what they're trying to do. We've got other companies we work with like Xerox Corporation. We're about to work with one of the world's largest, the world's top four professional services firms. Um, so any company that is selling outsourced services, managed services, where they've got a complex relationship over a number of years that they want to make that relationship better and stronger uh, is the type of company that, that we work with. Thank you. And, and uh, just going back, can you clarify what you mean by large business means in terms of the, the customers you're serving? What, what, what do they deem as large business? So an example, let, let, let me give, a, give another example that might bring it to life. So if you picture a, an IT services company, so um, an IT services company may have sold to a big bank how they manage their entire desktop services. So how they manage help desk calls for PCs, how they supply equipment, um, how they supply engineering resource, all of that. So these are big contracts where there's you know, four or five year contracts in place to deliver some, some pretty complex um, services. Now, what you find in the marketplace today is, is customer experience is king. So I'll give an example again in the consumer world. The services that you can get from a mobile phone company are pretty much the same whether you went to Telefonica, Vodafone, O2, 3Mobile, etc. But the thing that stands one company apart from another one in the consumer world is customer experience. Um, and that's why in the consumer space, people choose a lot of the time one company over another one. And that's why customer experience in the consumer world is so important. Now in the business to business world, the differentiation between price, product and service um, has become less and less. Um, so for example, a company selling um, professional services knows that their services are gonna be very similar to their competitors. Now, what that means is that they are trying to find customer, uh, they're trying to find competitive advantage in customer experience. And for them, customer experience is down to business relationship, not service level agreements or price or product. So from their perspective in the enterprise space, if they can get their business relationship to be world-class, deliver a world-class customer experience, that's where their competitive advantage is. And Gartner talk about the fact that 53% of the reason why people will uh, buy, retain and grow contracts with suppliers is down to customer experience, not down to price products or service. So, so therefore, any large company looking to retain and grow contracts needs to have a world-class relationship. And that's what we enable. Great. And in terms of uh, the licensing model that you've adopted, could you tell us a bit more about the structure and the reasons behind the decision? Yes, sure. So most um, SaaS software as a service companies charge a user license. So if you were to buy uh, Salesforce licenses, it would be done on a seat basis. So if there's 50 people you wish to use it, you charge a license per seat. It's the same as Microsoft uh, 365. If you've got 20 people, you buy 20 licenses. If you've got 10,000, you buy 10,000 licenses. 
Now, we chose to be a bit different because what we didn't want to do was to prohibit people joining a community. So let me give a, another consumer example. Um, in a WhatsApp group, often the, the strength of, of WhatsApp is the fact that you can have multiple people in, in one community. Um, it's not blocked down, so you can't go and invite other people. You can obviously put, put privilege rights on it. And our concept was the same in a B2B relationship. We didn't want to limit the number of people that could come together in a private community between company A and company B. So our licensing model doesn't charge a user license. It charges for, it's still a SaaS model, but it charges per client share, per platform. So if, for example, a company like, um, now I'm making these, these up, but if, for example, a company like PwC were managing their relationship with IBM, then we wouldn't charge for each party to have 50 separate users on the client share. Now, the principle behind that means that um, you can get as many people as possible into one community um, that enables you to have as essentially as many people in the same place. Here we are then today. Uh, you've built out the platform. You're engaging yeah. with enterprise organizations, yeah. uh, providing them with value with the, with the platform and engagement with their customers. Where do you see yourselves in the next 12 months? What does the journey look like? What would you like it to be? And what do you think will happen? No, it's a good question. So the short-term goal um, is, is very simple. We need to keep signing as much business as possible. I think a lot of uh, startup companies run the risk of spending too much time and effort on, on their product, on their marketing, um, and on how they, you know, the, how they can create this amazing product that's going to change the world or change the sphere that they're trying to influence. And, and from our perspective, we know all that. We know what we want to do. But first and foremost, we need customers, we need revenue, and we need we need to grow our business because we don't want to be continually raising capital to keep ourselves above water. Mm -hmm. um, we've got some very clear financial figures that say when when we can sort of play our play our hand in terms of going to raise some serious seed funding, sort of you know, two, three mil, something like that. But first and foremost, that the, the short term priorities over this year, which is also a financial year, is is to get contracts signed. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that when you're in this startup environment, unless you're doing something which is unbelievably focused on research and development, farms, R&D work, or something that's gonna create some amazing technology. You know, we're a SaaS platform. We will live or die by the contracts we sign and the success that our contracts bring to both suppliers and buyers using our software. That means that right now, my focus, my goals are all based on customer success of contracts with one and signings of new business and growing new business. Um, so that's the short term, short term goal. What we are then looking at is how we then build out our, our technology. That's really important to us. Um, and, and our technology vision um, is to take client share from being something which users and customers love using to something that has got an AI wrap around it that starts to enable predictive analytics um, based on the strength of a business relationship. So today, if I was the CEO of a, um, an enterprise company, and if someone said to me, tell me about how strong your top 100 clients are, the chances are I could sit down with my first line and tell you the P&L performance of every one of those 100 accounts. 
I could tell you everything that's in my internal CRM about what contact sales people have or haven't put in um, and what prospects we've got in those uh, in those clients. Now, that information is really good and the CRM market has grown beyond all belief. And so is the service reporting market grown beyond all belief. But what I couldn't do, what I couldn't do today is tell you about how strong the business relationship is in each client. And if we all agree, then the marketplace evidence, Gartner and Crocerc and other people will tell you that relationship is more important than SLA's price or service. If that's the most important thing, then it's incredulous that large companies cannot report on the strength of a business relationship. So we are developing and creating dashboards that would enable that CEO to sit and look across his or her key accounts and see across every single account a, ra a RAG status as to where they've got um, green accounts, where the relationship is buzzing, where they've got amber accounts, where it's okay, and where they've got red accounts, so think accounts where they need to fix the relationship. So they can then sit and look at their dashboard and go, right, I've got 10 accounts that are coming up for renewal next year that are worth $50 million or 50 million pounds to us, and our relationship is bad, and we need to do something about it. So today we are basing all of that around the analytics that client share creates to do with engagement across each individual client share. And that is already resonating and making a big difference with businesses. But tomorrow we want to be in a position that our AI engine that we are, we're still trying to work on the name, we're thinking of client share horizon, but, but essentially our AI engine will enable predictive analytics to come out and make recommendations based on machine learning in terms of what's happening in each of the client shares. So for example, it would flag to the CEO that they have four accounts at risk. The chances of them retaining those accounts have just dropped by X percent based on the engagement that's happening in that client. Um, and then compare and contrast what's happening across the rest of his or her business that will enable them to actually do something about it. Most of the time, large companies react too late to when a business relationship has gone wrong. And if they react too late to when a business relationship has gone wrong, one or two things happen. The first thing that happens is in order to retain that contract, they will give away margin unnecessarily. The second thing that can happen is they will lose that contract. So if we can find a way that our system, our software tells people what's happening, recommends some changes based on what's happening across all of their other client shares and across industry, we're going to create something that gives companies insight, enables them to measure something they can't measure today, and ultimately increases their profit. And that's something which we think is going to make a huge difference to the B2B uh, industry in the next uh, in the next two, three years. That's so really they're, they're the two things. So sign as much as we can, grow our business, but then focus on AI over the next 12 months. Really, really interesting, James. Thank you. Thank you. So part of the conversation is, is learning, it's education, it's sharing your, your experiences. Uh, so what sort of recommendations do you have for other budding entrepreneurs out there? Don't do it. No, I'm joking about <laughs> that. My, 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 my view on it is, I mean, you only go around once. Everyone's got um, their cross to bear or, or whatever term you wish to use. For some people, it might be doing the marathon, the sabla. For some people, it might be traveling around the world for a year. For others, it might be spending more time with their family. Whatever is your, your burning desire or your, you know, something that you really want to do, just do it. You know, find the time and space to do it. This was mine. This was something that, that I, I wanted to do. We haven't made it yet, but we think we've got a very good chance of doing so. So if you've got something you want to do, just, just do it. And you read all this stuff about, you know, no one ever you know, on their deathbed said, I wish I spent more time in the office. But 
you know, frankly, um, mine is I wanted to start a business and, and that does involve spending more time in the office. So that was my desire. Thank you. And I'll ask the same question again next year and see, see what recommendations you come up with then as well. So thank you. No problem. Okay. So we've, we've actually progressed very well. We've covered off a lot of ground in a short space of time. And um, so I've, I do have a, a number of uh, quick fire questions for you. So what's the current book you're reading at the moment? Or uh, do you have a favorite book you'd like to recommend to, to the listeners? So, so here we go. This is um, this, so looking at in my office at the moment. I've got uh, Eric Rees's uh, The Lean Startup. I've got Play Bigger. I've got Customer Experience. Um, I've got uh, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. But here's the thing from from my perspective. I I make a point of reading before I go to bed and reading first thing in the morning with my cup of English tea at sort of you know quarter to six in the morning. And it's not a business book. Uh, I'm actually reading a, a crime novel at the moment, oh, and it doesn't mean that I don't read a lot of these um, these startup books. But right now, quite enjoying taking uh, ten minutes out or fifteen minutes out in the morning, the evening, not to do something work related because I want to get a good night's sleep. It sounds a bit cheesy, this, but compartmentalise um, what I'm doing because uh, if I ask my my five year old and if I ask my two and a half year old what client share means to them, it's probably not going to quite mean the same to them as it is to me. So. <laughs> I think that this is me. Doesn't have to be you if you're listening to this. But uh, for me, I like to to try and sort of split these things off. In the world of entrepreneurialism, what entrepreneur or business owner you admire the most or following at the moment? Whilst it's great to see all this stuff about unicorns and these amazing companies that have you know, changed the way the world works, there's very few of those. So I'm not salivating at an Elon Musk or a Zuckerberg or things like that. I'm really not because that's not what we're trying to build. We're trying to build an awesome SaaS platform in a pretty niche market because the enterprise B2B market isn't as big as the consumer market. So I look at people I know who've who've started a company and it could be doing anything. Um, And I listen to them and I understand their stories. I spend more time talking to, to people who've done it, who I can eyeball, um, than I do following these sort of uh, superstars. If there's one person who I you know, spend quite a bit of time um, looking at some of their um, podcasts and the like, it's, it's the Gary Gary V stuff. I just I just think it's to the point. It's pretty blunt. And the one thing that I really like about what he says is, like most most people you hear talk about, rush, get on with it, get on with it. He talks quite openly about doing stuff at the right time, um, not trying to boil the ocean. Um, as opposed to people who think that they're going to wake up tomorrow morning and create the next uh, the next amazing thing. So keep grounded, have a sense of reality. And anyone who started a business, regardless of what it is, will tell you you've got three years before you even you know can consider the fact that you're a successful going concern. Tip of the iceberg stuff is all people see. Thank you, James. And so what's your favourite sport and do you play? Um, I am sports mad. Um, I play hockey. Anyone who's not in the UK, that's uh, that's field hockey. Uh, I've played it for years and years. I've got various bits of my body that have been smashed to pieces playing it. So that's my that's my team game. I love my passion. Um, I ski. I play squash. I cycle. I run. Um, and I play cricket. So um, if I could go and watch any sport, I would go and watch uh, test match cricket. Um, if I could play any sport, I'd be playing. I'd be playing a hockey match. Great, thank you. And so, the final one, and I'll repeat this every year: is uh, what would you do differently, knowing what you know now? 
It's a difficult one to answer that because there's no such thing as if mm-hmm. um, you've done what you've done. If if I had to say one thing that I would do differently, it would be to have built, to have found a different and right company to build our MVP with. So I did literally spend some money and give away some equity to a really good guy who built it in his uh, literally in his shed. But I gave away a bit too much. And if I did it differently, I would have found a software company who specialized in helping getting startups off the ground. I'm not, I'm a non-tech founder and I founded the business myself. So I'd have, there's a company we work with called Ucreate who are absolutely awesome, uh, based in London, uh, Ucreate.it. I can't recommend them highly enough. They're world-class in what they do, but I would have searched the marketplace to find a, a company that specialized in helping SaaS and startup software companies get off the ground rather than giving something away to an individual um, because I didn't really know where to look. So that's the one thing I'd have done differently. Thank you, James. Well, let's come to the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, hopefully you have the, the time to come back 12 months, uh, regale on your experiences uh, for, for the past 12 months and then give me a view and give us, the, the listeners, a view of where you're going to be the following 12 months. Brilliant. Thank you, Ben. Thank Appreciate you, James. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe and until next week, cheers.